I started off with Psalm 139 this morning, not just because it's one of my favorite psalms. I know I always say that, but this really is like top two. But I opened up with it because of why it's one of my favorite psalms. David talks about how God is everywhere, but in particular, how God is everywhere David is. Everywhere he goes, God is with him. He talks about how everything that he has done, God knew it before it happened. That God has not been taken by surprise by a single thing in David's life. He talks about how God knows what is yet going to happen. And he knows, David says, because God is the one who has written in his book everything, every day that is yet to happen. In short, I love this psalm because it reminds me, God is with me and God is in control. And it's important for us to remember that to always know that, to always believe that as those redeemed by grace because we need to keep in mind what we've seen over the last three weeks about who we are. We are whole people. We were created as whole people in the image of God, created perfectly spiritually, mentally, relationally, emotionally, and physically. We were perfect in every aspect of our being. But when sin entered the world, all of that changed. The image of God was distorted in us and we became holy broken. We saw just in the events in the Garden of Eden after sin entered the world how every single one of these aspects was broken in us. Every part of us as whole people was affected. And now because we are fallen sinners, we are in our natural, natural state, we are spiritually dead. We are mentally limited, especially when it comes to knowing truth. We are relationally challenged because our sin exalts ourselves in our own minds. We are emotionally broken. We experience things like mourning and fear and unrighteous anger and anxiety. Our bodies now deteriorate. We get sick. We break bones. We get old. And eventually we die, unless Christ comes first. And there's absolutely nothing we can do about any of that. So God did something about it. God took on humanity. He took on the whole person that we are. He became one of us, exactly like us, except without sin. His spirit was perfect. But as touching as humanity, you know, Jesus didn't know everything. We see in the Bible, he learned just like the rest of us. He experienced relational brokenness because of the sins of others. The very people he came to save rejected him. He experienced emotional distress in his life. He mourned the death of loved ones. He even suffered physical symptoms for his emotional distress in the Garden of Gethsemane. He experienced physical pain that I can't even imagine. And he died. And he did all of this to conquer our sin. And then he rose on the third day, conquering death, and he ascended on high, and he sent his spirit to dwell in all those who believe. And if our faith is in him, and the Holy Spirit has changed our hearts and made us born again, well, then we are new creatures. This is what Christ's work did for us. And if we believe God has repaired our spiritual brokenness, he hasn't made it perfect. It's not like it was before the fall. It's not like it will be in eternity when we're with him forever, but it's not completely broken anymore. Christ through his work has restored in those who believe the ability to love him, to seek God, to please God. He's given us the power of his Holy Spirit whereby we can both want to grow in holiness after the image of our Savior, and we are now able to grow in holiness after the image of our Savior. As Philippians 2.13 says, it is God who works in you both to will and to work 
for his good pleasure. And so now with the Holy Spirit in us, we can glorify God with our renewed minds and in our relationships and with our emotions and with our bodies. And now we want to with the Holy Spirit in us. But here's the thing. As Christians, let's be honest, sometimes the do doesn't match the want to, does it? Sometimes we have the desire to do what's right before God, but we lack the ability to carry it out. Sometimes we do the very thing we don't want to do. And many times it is because of personal sin that our do and our want to don't meet up. And sin, remember, always starts from within, in the mind and the heart. Like we saw with Adam and Eve, sin starts within us, and then it works out in what we do. And we use our bodies in ways that don't glorify God. We treat others the way that God tells us not to. But other times, it isn't sin that's the problem. No, sometimes, because we are, even as redeemed Christians, we are still broken on this side of heaven. Sometimes our brokenness keeps us from doing what we want to do. Sometimes fear holds us back from pleasing God. Sometimes a poor sense of self-worth or of our own abilities holds us back. Sometimes anxiety holds us back. And while these things are not sinful, these emotions or these thought patterns at times keep us from doing what we really want to do for God. And that means they can keep us from growing spiritually, from growing in holiness. But Christ redeemed us from all these things. Do you realize Christ redeemed us from fear? Christ redeemed us from a false sense of self. Christ redeemed us from anxiety. But because we are at the same time saint and sinner, because we are redeemed but still live in the flesh, because we are in this constant battle between our fallenness and who we really are in Christ, sometimes we don't know that we're redeemed from these things. Sometimes we don't feel as if we're redeemed from these things. And so sometimes, maybe more than sometimes, we lose the battle to these things. So today I want to talk about the battle, and I want to talk about the battle against anxiety in particular. And I want us to take what we know from the Bible about how we were created as whole people, what sin has done to us as whole people, and what redemption in Christ means for us as whole people, and apply it to the anxiety that so often weighs us down, that clings to us so closely at times. Now, why did I choose to talk about anxiety today? Well, there are two reasons. First, most people have experienced anxiety. Here's the dictionary definition of anxiety. This is how I'm using the term today. It is a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typically about an imminent event or something with an uncertain outcome. I would say everyone has experienced anxiety on some level using that definition, yes? That's the first reason I chose this. The second reason I chose this is because I suffer with anxiety. If you ask either my counselor or my wife, they'll tell you I suffer really badly with anxiety. I guess everyone's entitled to an opinion. So I'm very familiar, trust me, with anxiety from my own experience. I know how it affects a person. I've done a lot of research on it. And most importantly, I know what the Bible says about it. So what we'll do today is take our understanding of who we are as whole people, as sinners redeemed by grace, and look at what the Bible says about anxiety and how it affects us. Because for the redeemed, there is a large spiritual element to the kind of anxiety I just defined. And of course there is. And we should expect there to be, right? We are whole people. And just to be clear about what we're talking about today and what we're not talking about, I am not talking about anxiety disorder. I'm not qualified to do that. That is a different thing than what I'm addressing. I want to make this very clear. Anxiety, as we just defined, is just a common reaction to situations, whether real or perceived, in our lives. 
Anxiety disorder is a mental illness and leads to all kinds of health and life problems. Anxiety, as we've defined it, relates to specific situations or problems, usually lasts only as long as the problem and is generally proportional to the problem. With anxiety disorder, anxiety comes up unexpectedly for seemingly no reason. The, the response to the situation or problem is disproportional to the situation. That anxiety may last for a long time, even after the situation has been resolved. That kind of anxiety can be difficult or impossible to manage. And that kind of anxiety can lead you to do things you normally wouldn't do, like avoid situations that may trigger anxiety symptoms. That's not what I'm talking about. And if you are concerned about anxiety in your life, I can't stress this enough, please seek professional help. Okay, this is not a faith issue. That's not, listen, don't send me the emails, people. Yes, God can miraculously heal you of anything. I really believe that. But if I break my leg, I'm going to pray and go to the hospital. So please. Okay, so anxiety, as we've defined it, is partially a spiritual issue, and there is a faith element to it. Because from biblical perspective, anxiety is a whole person problem, and so anxiety affects the whole person. Anxiety affects you physically. When you're anxious, your brain physically produces chemicals that affect your whole body. It affects your gut health. That's why we, when we get anxious, our stomach sometimes starts to hurt. Or, you know, we, we start to, uh, we, our stomach starts to become active. That's why we get ulcers when we have high anxiety in our lives. These chemicals, these chemicals affect your nervous system. This is why some of us get like these tension headaches or these stress headaches and we don't know why. It's because literally these chemicals make your, your muscles start to contract in ways you can't control. But you know anxiety also changes your brain? Anxiety physically changes your brain. This isn't just a software problem, this is a hardware problem, okay? These physical changes in your brain make you more prone to anxiety, and then the more you're anxious, the more your brain changes to make you prone to anxiety. Wow. That is a vicious circle if you leave it alone, isn't it? Anxiety affects your emotions. At its core, anxiety is an emotional response, but it evokes certain emotions. There's an element of fear in anxiety. But with anxiety, it's the fear of something that hasn't happened yet and may not happen. You know, fear is there's a bear in front of me and my fight or flight kicks in and I'm gonna do something about this. Anxiety is my fight or flight is kicked in, I don't even know if a bear's coming. But anxiety has also been shown in studies, get this, to affect emotional openness. Anxiety can actually make someone less emotionally open and emotionally available than is healthy for them. And that can obviously cause relational issues. It can not only close someone off emotionally, but it gives someone an unreasonable distrust of people and doubt about their motives or even their abilities at times. For me, I have a very hard time trusting other people to do something if I can do it. I would rather just do it myself. And you know what? That's not based in reality. I'm talking about trustworthy and capable people, and yet I'll just be too anxious if I don't do it myself. And that brings us to the mind, because doubt and trust are cognitive issues, not emotional. Anxiety can cause people like me to think wrongly about myself and others. It can lead me to think wrongly about situations, about the facts. And you know what? I know it, and that don't help. All right, so what does any of this have to do with Jesus? I know you're all wondering, right? What's the spiritual element here? Let me tell you a story, briefly. My counselor can't talk about our sessions, but I'm allowed to. A couple of months ago during a session, you know, as he usually does, he just gets me talking, asks me about what's going on at home, what's going on at church, because that's really all I have going on, and I like it that way. 
And he has this knack for picking up on things that I don't even know are causing me anxiety or things I do that are caused by my anxiety. So we talked about things, what my week is like, and he asked me, he said, Lee, why don't you take a day off during the week? I said, Juan, I don't want to take a day off during the week. That's the reason why. I just feel better being here just in case I'm needed. He said, okay, why do you feel compelled to get to church on a Sunday 45 minutes before anybody to make sure the rug is vacuumed and the bathrooms are cleaned? Why do you feel compelled to get here before everybody else turn on all the audio video equipment to make sure it's working? I said, well, because I want to do all that. It just makes me feel better. He said, okay. Do you have people there that you trust, that if something were to go wrong and you took a day off, they'd be able to handle it? I said, oh, absolutely. He said, and they're good. I said, oh, they're great. He said, okay. Do you have anybody clean the church? I said, yeah. Are they good? Oh, yeah, they're very good. Do you have people who run the audio and video equipment on Sundays? Absolutely. You trust them? Oh, yeah. They're good? Oh, they're very good. He leaned forward and said very calmly, hmm. Well, then why don't you stop putting yourself in God's place and let God be God? What does he mean by that? Let's talk about the whole person and anxiety again. But this time, let's include the spiritual. Let's put Jesus in my anxiety. As he said, there's an element of fear in anxiety. It's fear of the unknown, fear about things that are probably not even going to happen. See, I tend to think of the absolute worst-case scenario where it's even the first hint of a possible problem. If I'm being honest, in about three seconds, I think of like the hundred worst things that can possibly happen. But where's Christ in that? I mean, as you know, or maybe you don't, the most repeated command in the Bible is what? Do not fear. Fear not. Why is it repeated so often? Do you ever wonder why the Bible just says that over and over and over again? Well, I'll tell you why. Because in our brokenness, we tend towards fear. But even more so because we need to be constantly reminded that Jesus has redeemed us from fear. He redeemed us from a need to fear. John 14, 27, Christ said, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Remember, we considered this peace. We looked at the fruit of the Spirit a few months ago. We saw peace is a fruit that affects us inwardly. The Holy Spirit renews us, produces this, this fruit of peace in us. And we saw the reason this is true peace is because it's Christ's peace. Not peace like the world gives. Not peace like I can try to give myself by just doing everything myself. This is his peace, and he gives it to us. And if we have this peace, he says, we don't need to fear. Why? Because the next day he went to the cross, and he died for our sins. And on the third day, he rose and conquered death. It's because we know who he is. We know what he has done. We know who we are in him. We know that whether or not that worst-case scenario happens, or all hundred of them happen, that because of what Christ did, our end is sure. That though the road to eternity is filled with suffering, real suffering, that at the end is glory no matter what. That at the end, no matter what, is Jesus. What do I have to be afraid of? We talked about the unreasonable doubt or lack of trust that can come with anxiety. And what that comes down to, quite honestly, is a false sense of self. This is why it's a cognitive issue. It's thinking about yourself wrongly. We may not say it, we may not even know it consciously in the moment, but what it comes down to is that I get anxious 
over what I'm not doing, over what's out of my control, because I forget it was never in my control to begin with. And that's what happens when I forget who God is and who I am. I forget what Solomon, the wisest man that ever lived, said in Psalm 127. He said, unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go, go late to rest. Eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. No matter what we try to do, try to build a house, to work harder at our jobs, to be better at doing something that we love, something that God has even called us to do. If we leave God out of it, if it is not God's work, brothers and sisters, it's in vain. When we believe we just need to work a little harder or work a little longer, that we need to do just a little more and everything will be okay, it's in vain. We believe it's in our control, in our hands, to do anything, even for the kingdom of God. If God is not in it, it is in vain. When I'm anxious over what I can control, I'm just forgetting who I am. I'm forgetting who God is. That means it's really a spiritual issue. First, because that doubt and that lack of trust ultimately has God as their object. What reason has he ever given me to doubt him? Really. There isn't one. He's only ever good. What reason has he ever given me not to trust him? Listen, even if one of those hundred awful things I can think of comes to pass, it's not like that in any way goes against what God has told me, is it? We know everything in creation is broken. Why would I ever distrust God and fear that something bad's going to happen when his word tells me I can expect it to? Why should I fear that something bad is going to happen when God promises that he is with me and it's all in his loving hands? It's because anxiety tells me I need it in my hands, that I need to control it. For me, instead of let go and get God, anxiety says, no, Lee, grab hold of this and control it or bad things will happen. That's why we need to be very careful. Because anxiety can be a liar. Because when it comes down to trusting me or God, my anxiety says, no, trust me. But as we saw, I'm broken by sin, right? We're all wholly broken by sin. And I know, I know that between the two of us, God is the only one who's trustworthy. He's trustworthy in the big things. He's trustworthy in the small things. And this good, trustworthy God loves us so much that he took on brokenness like ours to make us whole. If he died for that, if he died to take care of the biggest thing, how can we not trust him with everything? That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, that a single hour to a span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. See, this is a faith issue when it comes down to it. 
Now, does that mean we just need more faith and God's going to give us everything? He's going to give us more money, more clothes, more food? No, of course not. We still need to be good stewards of what God has given us. We still need to be responsible and plan to provide for ourselves and our family. The point Jesus makes here isn't don't plan for tomorrow. It's don't be anxious about tomorrow. You know, it's to not doubt God and his goodness. It is to trust God that he is in control and to understand that we are not. That's easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, how do you just learn not to be anxious? How do we just learn not to doubt? How do we learn to trust God? Well, Jesus tells us. He says, don't be anxious for these things. And then he tells us what to do instead. He says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Christ says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Jesus says, God knows what you need. God will provide what you need, because if you're going to get it, Jesus says, it's going to come from God. So, seek his kingdom first. Seek his righteousness first. Seek him first. Make him your top priority, and you'll have no need. No physical need, yes, but this isn't really about the physical need. It is about our mistaken idea that it's on us to get all these things. This is about our anxieties over what we cannot control. Jesus says, seek God first. And then not only will your needs be met, but therefore, you cannot be anxious about tomorrow. You need not be anxious about the unknown. Why? Because God knows. God is with us right where we are right now. And he is in control. I don't know about you, but I, I, I see this here as a sort of throwdown by Jesus, right? Jesus in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount says this. He doesn't say, hey guys, why don't you just give this a try, see how it goes for like two or three days. He doesn't say, maybe try not worrying about this other stuff and just give it a shot. Seek the kingdom, give it a shot, see what happens. Now, you know what Jesus is saying? He's saying, I dare you. I challenge you. Seek the kingdom of God first. Jesus is saying, set me as your highest priority, then tell me what need is it met. Seek me above all, and then tell me what you're anxious about. Seek him. Seek him and you will find. That's a promise. There's no need to doubt the outcome of that one, is there? We need to make the spiritual the priority over the things of the world. We need to set our minds on things that are above, not things that are below. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that by testing it says, by testing, by answering Jesus' throwdown, you may discern what is the will of God. Because as God's redeemed, we're being renewed in knowledge after the image of our creator. Let's make our relationship with him our priority. Let's love him first by loving our neighbor as ourselves. And fear not, because God is with us. Trust him. Fear not. The Lord is on our side and we will not fear what command do to us. And how do we do that? How do we learn to not fear? We obey. Hebrews 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what command do to me. 
Or in other words, seek first the kingdom. But as I said, there's a disconnect in our brokenness, right? The disconnect between the want to and the do. They said sometimes, you know, I know these things, and sometimes it doesn't change anything. That's because it's a spiritual issue. We need to address it spiritually. What does the Apostle Paul tell us in Philippians 4? He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So as we said, we've all experienced that kind of anxiety as we've defined it, this, this worry about things that may or may not happen. I have another question for you. How's your prayer life? You know, when Christians are polled historically, generally the overwhelming majority of us say, I know my prayer life is lacking. So many Christians say, yeah, I don't make it the priority that I know I should. See, their want to and their do are disconnected here. And I have the same experience when I speak to Christians. So many say, yeah, I, I don't pray enough. I know, I, I got to do something about that. And even when people do, sometimes they say, well, I, I don't want to make prayer just a want list to God, right? It's not a laundry list to God. I want this, 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 and this. I get that. John Piper said this about prayer. I like this. He said, prayer is not an intercom to upstairs so we can ask for more worldly comforts. He says what prayer is is a walkie-talkie from the front lines back to headquarters. And brothers and sisters, we are in a war. We are in a spiritual war. We are in a war against the powers of darkness. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We are in a war against sin. The Bible tells us the passions of the flesh wage war against our souls. And if we were on the front lines in a physical battle, none of us, if we were out of ammunition and the charging enemy was coming, none of us would say, I know I should use that walkie-talkie to call headquarters my favorite TV show's on. None of us would say, I know I need support from headquarters and the enemy is just not giving up, but I have so much else to do. Certainly, none of us would be losing a physical battle, know the enemy is advancing and say, eh, I don't really want to bother headquarters with that. Like I said, anxiety is a spiritual issue. It includes a lack of trust, a wrong view of God and myself, unreasonable doubt. It makes me believe that I need to control what's going on, that I need to handle it. Anxiety is like saying in part, God, I know I can and should trust you with this, but I don't and I'm going to handle it. Let me say that again. Anxiety is like saying in part, God, I know I can and should trust you with this, but I don't, so I'm going to handle this. What are we saying when we don't pray? I think we're saying the same exact thing. If God tells us in his word not to be anxious about anything, but to instead, by prayer and supplication, and with thanksgiving, let him know what we need, he's laying out two options before us, isn't he? So the question is, do we trust him above ourselves? Let me ask you this, do you make prayer a priority? Because if your answer to these questions are not the same, well then our fallen minds just aren't seeing the truth. And realize, our options are not either I will be in control or I will give God the control. That's not the options. God is in control. The options are I will try to be in control and be filled with anxiety and fear and doubt or I will give my anxiety and fear and doubt to God. 
And if we struggle with anxiety and we're not bringing that to God, which Paul tells us causes his peace. Remember that peace that surpasses fallen understanding that guards our hearts and minds. If we are not bringing this to God, then it's no wonder we struggle. And then, after saying all this, Paul brings it back to obedience. Verse 8, he says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So we're anxious about the unknown. When we're anxious about a given situation that is out of our control, when we're anxious about the impending event and just can't take the waiting anymore, Paul says your focus is off. He says think on, set your minds on, focus on God's truth. Focus on God's goodness. Focus on God's love. We need to get in our Bible and spend time with God. And then we need to obey. And if we do, if we practice these things, Paul says, well, then the God of peace is with us. So, brothers and sisters, when we have, as we defined it earlier, when we have a feeling of worry, nervousness, or unease, typical about an imminent event or something with uncertain outcome, and for me, I'll add, something that's probably never going to happen anyway, when that happens, we need to turn our whole selves to the only certainty we have. We need to, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let God know what we need. We need to think about the true, the just, the holy, the perfect, the good and loving God who's revealed himself in the Bible. We need to spend meaningful time with the only one who's certain. We need his peace to take away our fear and our anxiety. And we need to go and we need to obey. We need to practice what he calls us to. Let to close, I want to read once again Psalm 139. And I encourage you to use this as a prayer to our God. Use this as a reminder of who he is. Let's use this right now as an opportunity to let go of those things that cause our anxieties. Let's use this as an opportunity right now to open our hands, to release our grip on what we hold too tightly. And with empty hands of faith, come to God and let him fill us with his peace. Let's bow. Let's pray this song. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all together. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high, I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me is night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. 
for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sands. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of bloods, apart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my disquieting thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So I invite you to pray right where you are or come up to the front, whatever you're comfortable with, and by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let's let a request be made known to God. Let's surrender our control that we don't even have back to him.